All right, great to be with you all. Yeah, I, I've actually been in Connecticut uh, eight or so years, eight or nine years, and uh, I've, I lead a ministry at UConn called RUF, or Reformed University Fellowship, and uh, since the day I was arrived here, I've kind of known about and been connected in various ways to this church, and so it's always a joy to come back and feel like I'm getting to know some of you guys as well, which is great, and uh, this morning, uh, yeah, my family's not here with me. They, uh, I have two little kids, and my daughter's in school now, and she catches like every virus that uh, comes out there, so they're, they're just home. They're not here, but uh, they're great. You got to meet them sometime. Um, I um, chose for us this morning, a t- I'm going to speak from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and this is just a text... Uh, that I preached on a while ago, and I was kind of assigned this text at another church that I preached at, and uh, it just, I really just fell in love with it, and so I thought I would share it uh, with you all this morning too. So if you got a Bible or a phone or whatever you got, uh, look along with me at Romans chapter 6. We're just going to read the first four verses this morning. This is Paul, St. Paul. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Uh, Let me pray for us again. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we come now to this, uh, your word, uh, we pray that it would be life to us. We pray that you would uh, send your spirit to apply it to our hearts and make us different. We pray that you would show us your truth and that your truth would set us free. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of my favorite movies of all time is Good Will Hunting. Anybody a fan seen Good Will Hunting? Younger people haven't really seen this movie, which is really sad. It's an excellent movie. Go see it. I recommend it highly. And it's the story of the main character played by Matt Damon is named Will. And Will is this genius janitor. Uh, He's a janitor, but he's a genius and like so, 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 so smart, but he hangs around with, they're in Boston, and he hangs out with these friends of his that are kind of these buffoons, and they're getting in trouble with the law all the time, and and because he's in trouble with the law, he gets assigned by the court to see a therapist, and it ends up being this amazing therapist played by Robin Williams in the movie, And, and Robin Williams is just so good, and he develops this relationship with Will, and they find out that they have a lot in common, actually, and And gradually throughout the movie, uh, what's being revealed, hinted at, is that Will is an abuse victim, child abuse. His father was very abusive, and and we just get hints of it throughout the movie. And toward the end of the movie, in therapy, Robin Williams is talking with Will, and, and they start talking about the abuse. And Robin Williams' character reveals that he knows what it's like to have a dad Uh, who is abusive, and then there's this amazing moment in the movie where Robin Williams just goes, it's not your fault. And Will's like, yeah, I know, I know. And he goes, it's not your fault. 
And he just keeps repeating. And first, Will's like, I know. And then eventually, Will just melts into a puddle of tears. And what's revealed is the tragic truth that abuse victims tragically often blame themselves for their own abuse. And it's the story that they tell themselves that needs to be untold. And Robin Williams does it so effectively in this movie. He says, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And what it shows is that the narrative we tell ourselves is very powerful. Our narrative that we tell ourselves fuels our whole lifestyle. What we tell ourselves about ourselves is so powerful. And that's what Paul is talking about in this text. And he addresses this as he addresses an anticipated objection to the gospel uh, in this text. He says, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And... uh, you know, he's just coming out. If you've read through Romans before, in the previous chapter, Romans 5, is where uh, he's unpacking this amazing gospel of amazing grace and this idea that uh, justification is free through the blood of Christ. Uh, it's a, this free gift that Christ accomplishes on our behalf. And, but then he does this anticipated counter-argument. And I just want to look at this text this morning uh, through just kind of two main points, the question and the answer. And so, first of all, I want to look at the question. And in this question, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound, Paul's anticipating this charge of uh, what's called antinomianism, this idea that, like, Paul, you don't care about God's law. You, don't ca- you must not care about Holiness, And if you've read through Romans before, you know that this is just kind of Paul's way. He's always addressing objections, possible objections. He's like a law expert. He's like, he keeps on being like, what shall we say? Should we say this? Should we say that? And he an- answers all these questions. And what we need to see is that this is actually a very logical question. Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Uh, there's a great uh, British preacher from last century named Martin Lloyd-Jones who talked about this. And listen to what he said about uh, this question. He says, there's no better test to whether a man is really preaching the New Testament gospel of salvation than this, that some people might misunderstand it and misinterpret it to mean that it really amounts to this, that because you are saved by grace alone, it does not matter at all what you do. You can go on sinning as much as you like because it will redound all the more to the glory of grace. If my preaching and presentation of the gospel of salvation does not expose it to that misunderstanding, then it's not the gospel. Uh, He goes on to say, it's the charge that formal dead Christianity, if there is such a thing, is always brought against this startling, staggering message that God justifies the ungodly. Uh, do you see what he's saying there? He's saying that like, if you present the gospel to someone uh, and someone says, you know, all right, so it sounds like you're saying that Christians can do whatever they want. What you know at that point is that you've at least communicated the bare content of the message clearly and accurately. You know, it hasn't sunk in yet, obviously, but, but what you don't want someone to say when you present the gospel to them is say, like, okay, so I need to work really hard and then God will love me, right? That, that, that's not, you have not presented the gospel if you do that. And what you need to see is that it's not this question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Uh, you know, if someone said, like, It's not the wild and crazy sinners that ask this question. It's the religious people. Religious people don't like 
this idea. When we ask this question, it comes from a place of pride because it's, it's kind of like, so you're, it sounds like you're saying, Paul, that all my hard work might not be gaining me anything. And the religious leaders and Jesus always had conflict over this idea. It's in the parable, remember the parable of the laborers in the field where the guys who worked like barely at all got paid the same as the people who worked all day and the religious leaders hear this parable and they're furious. Or the religious leaders uh, that Jesus is addressing in the parable of the prodigal sons where the, you know, the older brother uh, who's been with the father all along uh, is wondering, hey, what about me? What about all my hard work? And that's, grace is just a tough pill to swallow, and it's especially tough if you have a lot going for you. If you're, if you're doing pretty, pretty well. But that's the question. Does the gospel of grace mean that we can just do whatever we want? It's an important question. It gets asked a lot. Uh, and under that question, I, I want to talk about a question that's kind of underneath it, and an important question, which is this. Can the gospel really produce holiness? It's a message of grace. It's a message of free grace from God. Can that message produce holiness? And it's an extremely pertinent question for us um, because maybe you're here and you're a Christian. A lot of Christians in this room. And maybe you've been a Christian for a while. And maybe in your walk with Christ, the same sins just keep coming up again and again and again. And you don't seem to be making a ton of progress. And if that's you, you might be wondering, you know, am I missing something? Like, is there a book I haven't read yet? Is there some technique I haven't learned yet? Or you might be here exploring Christianity and kind of trying to figure out what you believe. And you might be wondering, you know, how could this, all this, the gospel is just a message about Jesus. How could it be enough? Isn't this too simplistic? Okay, so that's the question we're going to be talking about. Uh, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And the answer, I'm going to look at the answer in two parts. Uh, the first part is that Paul says, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And what does that mean? We died to sin. A lot of people read that, and at face value, they say, I know what died to sin means. Uh, death to be dead means unresponsive. You're unresponsive to any stimuli if you're dead. And so what it means to be dead in sin is that we must, Christians no longer want to sin. And if you're a Christian, you shouldn't want to sin anymore. And that, there's a problem with that, several problems with that interpretation. One is that later on in verse 10, it actually says that Jesus died to sin. Uh, which creates a problem. Uh, there's other problems, like in Romans chapter 7, one chapter later, Paul details a great struggle with sin as a Christian. And later on in Romans, he gives all these exhortations not to sin, which wouldn't make sense if Christians didn't want to sin anymore. And finally, it just doesn't match like, Christian experience at all. And, but when we, tell people, when we tell Christians, yeah, if you're a Christian, you, you shouldn't want to sin anymore, it creates all this cynicism and doubt and discouragement, and it makes us hardened uh, toward the gospel. Um, but verse 10 gives us the key. If, if, we didn't actually read it, but if you were to skip verse 10 talks about how Jesus once and for all died to sin. 
And Jesus dying to sin means that he bore the eternal weight of sin. He paid the penalty for sin. Sin, it has no claim on Jesus anymore. And what's revealed in the gospel, especially in the book of Romans, is that what's true of Jesus becomes true, equally true of Christians. It talks about this idea of in Christ. We're in Christ now. And in Christ, we died to the guilt of sin. It no longer has a claim on us because we're united to him. We are in him. Now, it's worth taking a step back at this point and asking a really basic question. What is sin? Uh, A while ago, many years ago at UConn, there was a young lady in my ministry who was amazing. She was an immigrant from Colombia, Uh, had moved here in high school with her mom, uh, worked at McDonald's to help her mom pay the bills through high school, got a full ride to UConn, chemical engineer, top of the class, amazing student, and really sharp, uh, but kind of exploring Christianity, pretty new to it, and she was in a Bible study that I was leading. And you know how, like, sometimes people that have no experience with the Bible at all ask, like, the best questions in a Bible study? And this was totally her. And, and she just goes, we, I forget exactly what we were talking about, and she just stops us and she goes, wait, if sin is so bad, why does it feel so good? And <laughs> I was like, huh, good question. <laughs> Let's talk about it. I don't even remember exactly what we said in that conversation, Uh, But it's a really good question. It's an important question. Um, And what we see in the book of Romans, if you were to read through Romans, what you would see is that sin begins, in chapter 1, it actually says this, it begins with us exchanging the truth about God for a lie. We stand guilty because we knew that God was good. We knew his love and his goodness, and yet we dismissed him. We said, hey, no thanks, I will be in charge you're probably actually kind of mean. You're probably holding out on me. And we exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And then we fell under condemnation at that point. We were guilty, massively guilty at that point. And all sinning that we do is actually a response to that reality, that we're guilty. Sin feels good. It seems right because it's a way to not see or maybe not feel for a while my own alienation from the God who made me. Uh, at my house, we live in Coventry, not that far from here, and uh, moved here eight or nine years ago, and we have this room in our, it's right off of our living room, it's a tiny room, like I don't know what the people who built this house were thinking when they made this tiny room, but I can remember moving in, and it's right off our living room, and thinking, having plans like, oh, this is cool, like a tiny, this will be like a book nook, or uh, you know, this will be like, we had all these different like funny ideas for what we would do with this tiny room. And then when we had kids, it was like, it could be a little like playroom and just tiny playroom. And the reality is it became our junk room very quickly. And we actually call it the room of requirement because we're really into (laughs) Harry Potter too. And it's this room where like when, when we have something out that we don't know what to do with, we just put it in there. And stuff like piles up in this tiny room and every now and then we have to like make a goodwill run or something like that. But the good thing about this room is that there's a door that you can close on it. And so like the junk is still all there, but like I can, we can shove it all in this tiny room and I can close the door and I don't have to see it. You know, I can actually forget that it's there for quite some time. 
All right, all sinning is a feeble attempt like that to deal with the reality that I'm alienated from God because I have dismissed him. And we see the fallout of it. You know, when Adam and Eve first sin in Genesis chapter 3, we see the fallout immediately. We see these feeble attempts happening. They hide from God in Genesis chapter 3. Then they start blaming each other for their sin. And then, you know, go a chapter 4 into the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. And what we see is jealousy as a result. And then we see anger as a result. And then we see murder as a result. And then skip ahead to Genesis chapter 11 and the Tower of Babel story. And we see a whole society of people trying to make an identity somehow apart from God. We see them all grasping for control in whatever way they can. And what we need to see is all these responses make sense. They're just a way of dealing with the reality of our alienation from God. Makes sense. Except that the gospel proclaims that for Christians... We have, we have now died to this reality. The guilt of sin. We don't live under it anymore. It has no claim on us anymore. Uh, Jesus bearing the penalty of sin counts now for us who are in him, who believe in him. And it's because we're in him. We're connected. We're brought in. And so what that means is that for Christians, we are no longer actually alienated from God. We are no longer actually guilty before him. And now, to continue in sin, then, is totally incongruous with reality for the Christian. To continue in sin is like being released from prison, but continuing to dine in the prison cafeteria. Right? The only reason you ate there was because you had to. You were condemned. You were guilty. That's why you ate there. But the reality is that Christians are still drawn to sin. Like, we are still drawn to sin. So I think it's worth going a little deeper and asking the question now, how did we die to sin? And that's the next part of Paul's answer to this question. And he says, uh, we were baptized into Christ's death. And we were baptized into Christ's death. And what I want us to see, first of all, is he's talking about actual baptism here, like the kind that happens in this church and churches everywhere, uh, actual baptism. And baptism, sadly, is kind of devalued today in the church, and it's viewed as something like a little extra, like, you know, not totally necessary, but you can do it, and it's not like, it's just kind of devalued. And we need to see that it's actually a really big deal for Paul here, like in this book, the Bible. Baptism is a really big deal. It's pretty much actually the crux of his whole argument in this passage is baptism. Uh, and when we baptize, I don't know how it goes here, but a lot of times we're kind of careful in the Protestant church to like remind everyone that like baptism doesn't save you. And, you know, it's, we kind of couch it in all these ways, but it, I think it's really to our detriment to think of it in those terms. Um, and the thing I compare it to is like a wedding ceremony. You know, like what I've done a few weddings, officiated a few weddings before. And imagine if you were getting ready to get married and me, the officiant of the wedding, walked up to you and was like, you know, this actual bare ceremony doesn't make you married, right? Like that would totally ruin the moment, right? 
Like, and and the, the reality is that there's so much value to the ceremony. Uh, think about a marriage, right? Like, it's what you look, the, the ceremony is the tangible thing you look back on when marriage is hard. You remember the vows. You remember the rings. You remember the guests that were there. You remember the moment when you locked eyes down the aisle uh, as this way of reminding yourself who you are in marriage, what you've been called to. And so there's so much value to the ceremony, and baptism is really similar to that. Uh, baptism is this place where union with Christ is dramatically set forth. And we're meant to look, you know, you might not remember your baptism that well, and that's okay. You might not remember it at all. That's okay, because every time someone's baptized, you're meant to reflect on your own baptism. Baptism is the tangible moment where we receive Christ's credentials as one who has died to the guilt of sin. And as the water, the water drips off, and it's symbolizing our guilt dripping off, our alienation from our creator dripping off, and it makes us actually different when we partake in faith. Uh, I mentioned before that I have two little kids. Uh, my daughter Margot is five and a half today. Today is her half birthday, actually. And uh, my son Asher is almost two, almost three, and we haven't done the whole Disney thing yet. We're not ready for that, but we have... Uh, when my daughter was young, we only had her. We took her to New York one time, and we went to Times Square, where they have all like the knockoff uh, Mickey Mouses and Elmos and stuff. And it was really funny. You know, the people who do that are a little shady. You know, it's a little shady. And uh, but you know, we show up there, and for my daughter, who was like three, two or three at the time, like that is Elmo. Like, she looks up, she see, we're walking down the side, she looks up, and she's just like, what? And you know, the people who do that, like, they, like, sign autographs and stuff, like, for little kids, like, that is, don't tell my daughter, that's not Elmo, you know, it's not really Elmo, like, it's Elmo, you better believe it's Elmo, she'll fight you that it's Elmo, it's, that's Mickey. All right, I want you to think about putting on, the, those people trying to make a buck, putting on that costume, Right? Baptism is the costume that the Christian puts on when we're weighed down by our sin. You know, when you're weighed down by your lack of progress with the Christian life, when you're weighed down by your lack of patience with your kids if you have them, or if you're weighed down by your lack of self-control, or you're weighed down by the temptation that just keeps on coming and won't go away, The only way you can be transformed is by hearing the good news of the gospel, which proclaims a new transformative reality for those that are in Christ. You've got the costume on now. You're in him. You have his record. You have everything that he has. And the transformation is actually so enormous that it actually takes some time to live into, right? It takes a little time to get used to, to, to kind of put it on and keep it on. Uh, I think I've mentioned when I preached here before that I have a really good friend. Uh, his, fa his family, they've now adopted uh, three kids. They have three biological kids. They have three adopted kids now as well. And 
I, was, uh, I lived in the same place as them when they had, were just adopting their first child. And I can remember, uh, I got to be there when they welcomed him home at the airport uh, from Uganda. And I can remember kind of catching up with him sometime after that and asking him, you know, how's it going with your little boy? And, you know, very excited to hear I was going. And he was like, it's really good, but, like, it's also, like, kind of hard. There's some really hard things. And I was like, well, what's what's hard and he said one of the things he said was that their little boy in school uh, hoards food was hoarding food in his cubby and uh, they found that when they were like doing something in the kitchen and like reached up into the cabinet to grab something that their little boy would go like this because he thought he was going to get hit i want you to think about what's going on with that little boy right he is no longer under the reign of abuse and oppressive poverty and all these dark things that he was under the reign of before he was adopted. But it doesn't mean he never lives as if he is. And what you need to see is that's the story of every Christian. We were all under a deep condemnation. We exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And everything fell apart. But then, through Christ, our reality changed entirely. And when we're drawn to sin, we're like that little boy hoarding food. Because that's what he did to be secure in his old life. Like, he had to. Now, that was a long time ago. This boy is now a big boy. He's amazing, this boy. He doesn't do those things anymore. And I want you to think about how that happened. Do you think it happened? He stopped doing those things because his parents were just like, hey, stop it. I don't think so. I think they probably gave him a lot of hugs and kisses. I think they probably took him on a Costco run or two and were like, you see all this food? We're not going to run out of food, ever. All right. In the sacraments, in the gospel, Jesus says, look at this blood. Look at these wounds. Look at the empty tomb. Feel the water dripping off. You're different now. You died to sin. You died to sin. You died to sin. You're accepted now. What that means is the king delights in you. Now go live. Go live real life. Go live life as it was meant to be lived. Go be different. and Go, go be a lover like him. Let's pray that he would work that transformation into all of our lives this morning. Let me, let me pray for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, the gospel is too good. Uh, we, uh, we need uh, to know its reality in our lives. I pray that you would apply it to our hearts. I pray uh, this reality, we died to sin, I pray that it would take root and uh, it would produce holiness in these ways, that we would shine uh, the light of your glory to the people around us, uh, the light that says uh, we have a God that welcomed enemies uh, to be his. Uh, make us different, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.